Well, welcome. Isn't it good to hear a testimony like that, of faith, of dependency, of seeing God show up? Let's uh, just give God's work in Jose and his family a, a hand. Uh, we are in a series, as you've heard, Rediscovering Jesus, and today we're going to be in John chapter 8, and uh, you can turn there. As, as you turn there, you know, John is such a powerful book. It's one of the four Gospels, and in the book of John, we see uh, the most red letters. Uh, some of you know what that term means, but some of our Bibles actually have uh, red letters that depict the, the words of Jesus, the actual teaching of Jesus. And in the four Gospels, John has the most of the red letters. It's an incredible book because as we learn who Jesus is and what he taught, it has a lot to say to us. And as we're rediscovering Jesus, it's really important to wrestle with these things and, and to get into them. Today, what we'll be looking at is this idea of throwing stones. Can you say that with me? Throwing stones. In John chapter 8, as we turn there, again, these red letters, these words of Jesus are going to just jump off the page here in a minute. And I want to, again, lay the foundation. So there's a commentator and author, that C. Kingsley Barrett, that says this, the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. It, if this be not true, the book of John is blasphemous. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus, C.S. Lewis famously said, is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. If you've never heard that, C.S. Lewis said it years ago. What, what he's getting at is if you actually look at the words of Jesus and what he taught, that actually it, it is very clear he knew who he was and he is the Lord. We hope you come to that place of decision. But to, to not see that in the word would actually be blasphemous based on what Jesus taught. This is what Barrett's getting at. And as we get into this, there are some things that Jesus taught that we need to be able to wrestle with real time. And, and some heart issues, some postures of our heart in the middle of the life we're in that hopefully can receive the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus because as we receive it, we're meant to be conduits of it to others, funnels. It's meant to flow through us. So in John chapter 8, we're going to look at the first 11 verses to begin here. It says that each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Can you picture the moment? Religious leaders trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They're already threatened by who he is, the way people are following him and the things that he's teaching. And, and they're trying to trap him in something that they could pin against him. In that moment, as this is unfolding, there's a woman there caught in adultery, and what a thing to be known for, right? Like, that's literally probably in your Bible, what it says is the heading, woman caught in adultery. I mean, you can imagine, like, that kind of label, that kind of shame, the act that she's caught in is, is 
obviously sinful, but can you imagine what she's feeling in that moment with religious leaders, with Jesus, and here she is in all of her shame, in all of the things that, that she knows are off and wrong, but now are being publicly exposed. Can you imagine if that were you? Drug in front of others to pay the price in front of others, not as a part of a sincere moment, but as a part of a moment to trap somebody else. So here's Jesus, and and he kneels down, right? And he begins to, to write in the ground. And nobody knows for sure what he wrote, but many believe, based on what we see next, that part of what he might have been writing there were other sins other than adultery. Things that that others might have been doing or doing real time, even maybe that day, that he was writing in the sand. Notice what happens next. Verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This is such a powerful story. I mean, can you picture what it would have been like for her again to be in this moment, Jesus being tested, and there are these stones that were literally in people's hands. They're ready to stone her and condemn her and take her out. As this is unfolding, as they have these stones, I've got a whole bucket of them because at the end of the day, we live in a world that gives us many reasons right now to throw stones at other people. Anybody? That, that gives us many reasons to pick up and to hold on to things in order to tear down and destroy others. This is very prevalent in our culture right now. In America, we are very good at dividing and destroying rather than uniting and building up. Anybody? And so there's actually a, a real question that, that, that it then may enter her mind is, are we holding on to stones? Are we ready to throw stones? Or are we willing to set them down and to lay them down like they did? You see, I don't know about you, but let me just dig a little deeper on this real time with what we've all faced in our nation this week. Woohoo, Right? Anybody else? Like, yes, we can celebrate for a moment a little bit of a victory that 50 years deep of prayer and advocacy and and people that are waiting and wanting and desiring to see our pro-life beliefs, the sanctity of life recognized and honored and celebrated, what a historic moment on Friday as Roe vs. Wade was overturned. I assume that's what some of you were clapping about. Right? I mean, we can celebrate that, but that that is something that, that, yes, we can celebrate and we can praise God for answered prayer because if you didn't know where we stand on that, we believe in, in 
life. And, and we do believe that this, this is what was needed. But here's the problem, right? Is we don't just believe in life in, in that way. We believe that from the womb to the tomb, that, that all of life is something that Jesus cares about. And so it would be really easy, and I'm, I'm a, hopefully it's amazing how God works, because most of this was put together before Friday. But God is good. He knew what I needed to share this, this day. Because some of us right now are tempted to not just celebrate the victory, but to dance on the heads of those that were just defeated. Some of us are actually tempted to pick up stones and to begin to actually throw them, and you're like, oh, I would never do that to somebody's face. No, but you'll do it on Facebook. You'll do it on social media. You see, we live in a day and age where all of these spaces, we're either the same person representing the same Jesus, or we're a hypocrite. And, and this is actually what Jesus is getting at. You see, not only was a woman caught in adultery, but religious people were caught in hypocrisy in this pa passage. Because he says, you who without sin cast the first stone, and immediately they recognized that they had issues too, that they too had sin. So there's something about this space of mercy and grace and love and representing who Jesus really is that matters. And as we dive into this today, the first point that I want to make, if I haven't made one already is throwing stones. Jesus' mercy is meant to capture us no matter what we're caught with. That Jesus' mercy and grace and love is meant to capture us no matter what is we are caught with because we all have something. Can I get an amen, church? How we love should be like how Jesus loves. And so let me ask you the question, are you captured by Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy, are you more interested in catching others? You see, sometimes as we look at this, we might say, well, are you saying let everyone off the hook? Absolutely not. Did Jesus do that? Verse 11, no. He says, go and sin no more. You, you see, we can live in that space of tension and be a people that is captured by his mercy and his grace and his truth and his love. And we can also walk forward in that same truth and grace and love. We live in a world, though, that in many ways has misunderstood mercy and cheapened grace. Grace is not just a one-time thing. Grace is meant to empower us. It's meant to be there, God's grace covering us, to empower us, to be who he's called us to be. You see, we are meant to have mercy like Jesus did, but we're also meant to have a grace that is willing to say the hard things and promote truth and love and move people closer and closer to Jesus. So as we think about what that looks like and means, listen to what another commentator and author, modern day scholar says, N.T. Wright, about this very passage. He says, if she has been forgiven, this woman, if she's been rescued from imminent death, she must live by that forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Being forgiven doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. 
On the contrary, forgiveness means that sin does matter, but that God is choosing to set it aside as we walk forward with him. There's a massive difference between understanding what the world is promoting with tolerance, which is a very low social virtue. Think about it. If you said, hey, Pastor Brian, I'm tolerating you today. (laughs) Not sure about this message. I'm not sure about you, but I'll tolerate you this Sunday. Right? It's a little bit offensive. Okay? I got thick skin. I'll be okay. But at the end of the day, it's a very low social virtue, isn't it? Actually, love says, I love you enough to believe that in this moment, God's going to do something in you and through you. God's going to do something that doesn't leave any of us the same that continues to lead us forward. Love will sometimes grant mercy, but then also bring truth. A truth that moves us forward, as he said to this woman, to sin no more. May we hold both of these in their proper place in this season. May we let go of stones because here's what's interesting. As I said earlier, we all have something. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says this. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You may not want to hear that today, You may not want to accept that today in a world that wrestles with everybody creating their own version of reality. The reality is, Scripture teaches us, the truth of God, that we're born with a sin nature and that we've all sinned. But as we receive the gift of God's love and mercy and grace, we're able to walk in a new freedom and to walk forward with him. That becomes a part of this new identity that Jesus gives us. And and I don't know about you, but I would love to have known what happened later on to this woman. I would have loved to know how did this turn out? How did it go? We're not afforded those details. All we know is Jesus is good enough to say, I can help you into a better season. But we have to be willing to let go of some of our stones, some of the things. And here's what's interesting. Let me read to you uh, John 8, 59. Because at the end of the chapter, there's some things that unfold, right? They lay down their stones targeted at her. But at the end of John chapter 8, guess what? Now they've picked them back up, and now the target is Jesus. Isn't Scripture amazing? Verse 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Translation, he ghosted them. He got out, right? Don't you love God's timing? You love the fact that it wasn't the moment. It wasn't that he wasn't going to eventually give up his life and, and die for us. It was that it was the wrong timing. And you might be asking them, well, what in the world? In this moment, they lay down stones, and then just a little bit later, they pick them up to kill him? Well, it's because he began to share four core truths about his identity, and that's what we're going to look at next. Throwing stones, there's four core identity teachings of Jesus that caused him to throw stones. And these four have significant implications for our life significant truth and weight that 
as he teaches on his identity, that becomes our identity. And we are, as many of us know, living in an identity crisis right now. Not just in our country, but many of us within the church. And we've got to get back to who is Jesus? What does the word of God say? How do we live as his in this season? So these four core identity truths, here's the first, and I'm literally just going to quote Jesus. These are the red letters. The first is light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of those moments where they, as they hear this, they're wrestling with, are you, are you saying that, that you're the light of, like you're literally the light of the world, that you didn't just create light, but you bring light into a spiritually dark and depressed place? And it begins to get them worked up because they're not sure they can accept this from this, you know, 32, 33-year-old teacher, this itinerant rabbi that's traveling around the Middle East doing miracles and doing things that they're going, we don't know if we can accept that you're saying that you're the light of the world. I mean, it puts it into context, doesn't it? And, and part of what it puts into context is the reality that, that, yes, Jesus is saying that and declaring it, and that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are meant to reflect that same light. That when we come out of darkness into light, he puts his light in us, and we are meant to be light. Scripture says, Matthew 5, 16, I believe it is, 15 and 16, that you and I are to be the salt and the light of the world. Well, that means in, in moments of time that we're shining brightly for him, not because of us, but because of who he is. But the problem might be, and what might have got them worked up, was not that Jesus might be the light. I mean, that bothered them. But was he saying that I'm not being a light? Was he saying that, that I'm actually not being who I'm supposed to be? You ever heard the term cultural Christianity? Oh, church. Don't throw stones. Right? I didn't hand any out today on purpose. <laughs> cultural Christianity is something that is more about going through the motions, showing up to do the thing versus being who we're supposed to be. Let me read you a quote. There's a researcher, uh, George Barna. I'll, I'll quote him twice today. He says this about his data. He says, these figures emphasize how soft people commitment to God is. So he's quoting religious data showing that we're very often in America cultural Christians versus actual Christ followers. He says, Americans are willing to expend some energy in religious activities, such as attending church and reading the Bible, and they're willing to throw some money in the offering basket, but when it comes time to truly establishing their priorities and making a tangible commitment to knowing and loving God, most people, say most, not us, right, but most, but most, stop short. You see how I did that? Like, I took the stone out of your hand and said, yeah, it's all those other people, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just how these moments can feel. 
And in so many ways, what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm the light of the world, and I'm meant to shine through you. He's meant to transform our lives. This is why we're doing these two chairs, is to share how Jesus is transforming and changing lives. There's a popular saying right now on uh, social media, uh, the glow up. Here's my glow up, my summer glow up challenge. Anybody under 30 has seen it, Okay. Jesus is meant to be our glow up. He's meant to be somebody that actually takes us from before to an after that is absolutely better than anything we could have experienced. He's meant to glow up and to be the light through us. That's one truth that got them upset at Jesus. Here's the second. Truth itself. Jesus in John 8, 31 says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the what? Truth will set you free. How many times have you heard that in a movie or somebody quote that? Right? The truth will set you free. Whose truth? Whose truth are we talking about? Because while this has become a popular cultural saying, the truth will set you free, Jesus isn't saying your truth. He isn't saying my truth. He's saying the truth, which later on he defines himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. And it's his truth and his true that makes his disciples who they are. That's what sets us free, is the truth of who Jesus is. As you think about that, you know, it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. His word is, is, is the Bible. This is our primary source of truth. Primary way to understand who God is. So if you're feeding on news cycles, if you're feeding on social media, if you're feeding on entertainment, if you're feeding on water cooler conversations, if you're feeding on gossip, whose truth are we talking about that's going to set you free? You see, we have to make a decision that this, God's word, the Bible, is something that we're meant to abide in. And we live in 2022 in a time where there's no excuse. You can get an app. That app will even read it to you. You can, you can get all cozy in your car or at night and you know, let that voice read it to you. You're like, I don't like to read. Don't. Let him read it to you. Right? So, so it's abiding in his word that reveals truth and who he is. I want to show you again a, st a couple statistics. Uh, the first is on Bible transformation. This is from Barna. That actually, what they have found is that the Bible does transform our lives. The truth of God transforms our lives. That actually, uh, if you look there, the majority of people, almost uh, 60%, would say that the Bible has transformed my life. These are people that might read it daily or might read it you know, every week or every month, that kind of thing. The second aspect is Bible engagement. And this is really interesting. Let me show you this. This statistic uh, that is there, when he surveyed people nationwide, what they found, next graphic, is that 5% of people are actually Bible-centered, meaning that their life, their decisions, all of who they are, 
are centered on abiding in the word and God's truth. 5%. Doesn't that explain a lot? Because it's those people, not us, right? Oh, that hit too close to home, didn't it? 19%, it says, are engaged in the Bible. 19% Bible-friendly. And then you have a whole section, almost 50%, that are Bible-disengaged. Here's what my hope is. My hope is that as, as we shed some light on this today, that, that you realize that God has truth available to you. That the truth is available if we will get into his word and if we'll engage in it, become Bible-centered, Jesus-centered, that that truth will actually begin to set us free. I don't know about you, but we need more freedom, yeah? And many of us are bound to things that we don't even realize we're bound to. We haven't even realized that there's a freedom available because we haven't got the word that it's available. In the last week, we celebrated, uh, many of our people in our country celebrated a federal holiday now, Juneteenth. Juneteenth, June 19, 1865, freedom was finally given to African Americans in the state of Texas. Now, you might go, well, what, what's, what's the celebration about? What does that mean? Well, can you imagine that on January 1, 1863, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that, that actually in the state of Texas, it took two and a half years for the word of that freedom to arrive to the people to actually set them free. And some of you are like, well, I, 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 I don't know why we would celebrate that. Well, here, here's the thing. It's not a new thing. Texas actually started celebrating Juneteenth in 1980. You know when Florida did? 1991. Look it up. So our federal holiday now, many of us have missed, that it's actually a celebration of freedom arriving to a people that didn't realize they were still in need of it, that it was even available. Let me take this further. How many believers in Jesus Christ have heard the gospel, but don't realize what's available to them. The word hasn't got to them yet to set us free in the way that we're meant to be set free. Do you see the correlation? That real freedom is available, but we all, some of us haven't heard about it yet. Let me encourage you to realize the truth is designed to set us free. The third one is fatherhood. Jesus actually in John 8, 44 says this, you are of the father, the, your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoo, now you get it. Now you understand why they were picking up rocks, right? He's literally looking at them. And he's saying, you act as if your father is the heavenly father, but you got a different daddy. You got somebody else you're serving, somebody else that you're following, somebody else that you're calling the shots. He's looking at them and saying, it's evidenced by the way you live, who you're actually serving, that you're actually serving and following 
the father of lies. He's saying this to religious leaders because he's also wanting to offer all of us something so much better, something so much greater. He's actually offering his fatherhood to us. That actually here's a good, good heavenly father. That in the middle of a world filled with the father of lies and sometimes earthly fathers even who let us down. Be clear, I, I'm blessed. I shared some of that story last week. That's not my story, but it's my dad's story. That's some of your story. That you've had hurt from, from the fathers in this world. But, but actually what Jesus is saying is, listen, in the face of that, in the face of the hurt, in the face of the pain, I want to be your father. I want to call you my sons, my daughters, I want to treat you with the greatest of blessing and love and favor because that's what a good father does for his kids. Anybody? So let me ask you a question. Who is your daddy? Seriously. When you look at your life, when you look at who you're living or how you're living, what does it really show? Does it show that you're serving a heavenly father? Or does it show that you're serving the father of lies? And, and it's interesting, isn't it? We love to divide things into two categories right now. Like you're either this or you're that, right? Jesus makes it so simple. He, he, he says, yeah, it's either this or that. Like you're either with the father of lies or you're with me. Can you see why they were picking up stones? We love to talk about how great Jesus is, but man, when we understand what he taught, it gets real and personal very fast, doesn't it? The last one, John 8, 58. This is the fourth core truth. He's eternal. And this is so important to understand. Jesus lays out for them that, that he existed. He says in 8:58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see, they had spent a bunch of time saying, well, our father is not the father of lies, it's Abraham, Father Abraham. That would come out of Genesis chapter 12. And, and as they're looking at that and saying that, Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. I'm before Abraham. I'm before Abraham because I'm the creator. I'm a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am. And that word I am also, underneath of it, was a word very similar. Uh, many of them would understand he was saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Holy One. And so you can imagine why, as Jesus is saying this, he's declaring clearly his identity. That he always was and he always will be. That he is eternal. What was their response? Their response was to say, yeah, we've had enough. We're going to pick up stones, and we want to take you out now. Isn't it interesting how these can so quickly become a problem for us? How quickly we can want to throw stones at others, or maybe stones. I promise I'm not going to throw this at you. <laughs> throw stones at Jesus, because we don't want to hear what he says. 
It's actually in the New Testament, I believe it's in the book of James, that it says in the end times that we will want to hear what our itching ears want to hear. Anybody else flip the channel or flip the podcast because you didn't want to hear it? May we be willing to listen and have hard conversations. May we be willing to wrestle with Jesus, what he taught, what he said. May we allow him to actually change us. May we be willing to set down our rocks and our stones and to let go and to say, God, whatever you have, I want to be open to it. Next step questions for this morning. Which of the four core truths about Jesus in the red letters do you need to apply to your life today? Is it the fact that he's light and he's calling you to live in the light? Is it the fact that he's the truth and he's saying, I want you to get to know my truth. I want you to get to know the word. I want you to be set free. I want you to understand what I've already given you. You need to hear the word. Is it fatherhood? Maybe you recognize that your life is, is living for the father of lies and not for the true father. Or maybe it's the fact that you've just discounted and diminished Jesus to be just another teacher, not the eternal son of God who always was and always will be. Second question, will you set down your stones and receive all that Jesus has for you today? Will you be willing to say, Lord, here I am, and I'm going to let go? And here's what we've done for this morning. We've created extra space for that to happen. For us to, to have a time to praise and to worship and to look at the truth of who he is and to let go. Because I don't know about you, but the world has given me a lot of reasons to want to pick up stones. Anybody else living a little more triggered than you should right now? So we want some extra space to just be in his presence, to receive the love and the mercy of Jesus. No matter what you've done, he wants to forgive you and move you forward. No matter what you've held on to, where you've been, any of those things, his grace and mercy is available. So let me pray. And then we're just going to enter into a little bit of an extended time of praising and worshiping. The kneeling benches, the altars are open. If you're here on site, if you're online, we have a chat host. Raise your hand. They would love to pray with you. Why don't you stand? Because I'll pray over us. And then you can sit back down after I pray. You can soak in his presence. You can use this time however the Lord leads. But I want to encourage us to be a people that's not throwing stones. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for the truth of your word and the fact that it does set us free. Gives us freedom to be who you've created us to be. So Father, I just pray that right now as we respond to the truth of your word, that we would be able to let go of anything we've been holding on to. That we would be not caught or trying to catch others but would be captured by your grace, your mercy, and your love. And may we be a people that finds freedom and goes and sins no more. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in this room. Just pray for your presence.
In Jesus' name, amen. Bond, church. Listen to the Lord in this moment. Listen to what he's saying to you. Sense what the Holy Spirit's saying to your hearts. Block out every distraction. I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the ocean I need you now to do the same thing for me Sing this with me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Mm-hmm. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness.
haven't changed You haven't changed, Lord just looking at some of these stones that are here and you know God has so much more for each of us he wants to continue to shine light he wants to bring truth that sets us free he wants to be that good father and he's eternal nothing that he does is temporal in the sense of what he does in our hearts and minds we're going to continue to praise and worship. We're going to do one more song. And I just wonder if there's some of you that may need prayer that, that didn't realize, like, you've been holding on to a rock. And God's saying, okay, ask the neighbor, your neighbor or ask a prayer partner to pray for you. Or maybe you're somebody who's felt that you've received a lot of those stones and you need prayer. Somebody to just share his mercy and love with you love the heartbeat of this church because it's the heart of God to love and to minister to each person so Father as we continue to praise, as we continue to worship I pray that nothing would keep us stuck that we wouldn't stay where we're at, that we would take a step forward with you today that we would let go of anything we need to let go of so that we could go forward and sin no more, to walk in your light and your freedom, to proclaim the goodness of you as our heavenly and eternal Father. Father, bless this time as we continue to worship in Jesus' name.